1: Alright, hello everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome back to In Liberty and Health, number 285. Um, I apologize for being a few minutes late. That's mostly on me. I was an idiot. Didn't send over the link to my wonderful guest tonight. Um, last time she was on, it was a really, really fun show, really, really cool show, and I think it's going to be the same deal this time. Um, my buddy Kevin's in the chat, is sitting in uh, Seattle traffic, so God bless you, brother. I'm um, hopefully... <laughs> it's not too too bad. But um yeah, we're gonna get into red pill, Christ pill, the gym, the health stuff, all that good stuff tonight. And um there are some things that unfortunately I wanted to talk about, but uh kind of uh things that um are just outside of the purview of the conversation, what we can talk about, unfortunately. But um other than that, make sure you hit all the links below where you can find my guests, find myself, find the wonderful tigerfitness.com, drink element sli- drink element t.com slash liberty and health for the world's best electrolytes, and Fox's sun's coffee. We use code Kyle checkout to let Steve know that I sent you and get some of that wonderful Fox and Sons coffee, or as Tommy would say, that BBC Big Black Roast coffee. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I guess uh, without further ado, let's get into it. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health, and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on plague day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So, if that's a problem, kiss my ass. returning to the show miss rachel wilson how are you
2: i'm so good thank you for having me back i want everybody to come watch this podcast because i i think it's one of the criminally underrated podcasts that's out there you've had great guests and great episodes and i'm just like why is kyle not blowing up more so i'm gonna just plaster this everywhere and tell everybody to to watch your stuff because i think it's very good i'm a big fan oh well thank
1: you very much i I sincerely appreciate that and uh i have a guest who i won't quite say who did like the tweet that you retweeted um who's gonna be coming on i know you really like this guy and i've grown to really really like him as well uh coming on on the 28th but um you know people will see i'll tell you once we're off air um, okay. un- unfortunately there were some things I wanted to talk about tonight, but, um, you know, I'm sure we'll be able to discuss those perhaps at a later date, but, um, yeah. you know, this whole deal with the Christ pill on red pill has been very, very fascinating to me. And, um, I was listening to your stream with David Patrick Harry, who at first, when I heard him talk about the red pill, I did not like him. And I took a few swipes at him, even though like other contexts, I generally liked him, but after that last stream you, th- you did with him, um, my impression of him greatly improved and i really really enjoyed that dream, not only from your perspective but also his perspective so um and also i want to talk about your health journey because i don't think we covered that last time but um i guess first things first um i, I find that you're probably in strange company with strange bedfellows when it comes to the red pill because you and your husband have kind of considered the red pill space more fellow travelers and i think you guys have had reasonable criticisms, but also have been able to understand it better than anybody else in your general sphere.
2: Yeah. Um, we feel like that a lot. It's kind of frustrating because I mean, one of the reasons my husband's channel has become so popular is because he's very good at making sure he actually understands The worldview and the opinions of, you know, whoever it is he's debating, or the two people that he's moderating a debate for. He genuinely wants to understand the worldviews and opinions of those people because if he does disagree, you can't properly dismantle those things if you're getting it wrong. You know what I mean? So we try really hard to like honestly understand what these people are saying and what has happened with the red pill, especially for those of us who are on the more traditional, I hate all of these labels. Uh, I feel like they're so overused and abused and nobody Mm -hmm. knows what they even mean anymore, but like traditional conservative Christian side of things, they just think, Oh, red pills are, they're degenerate pickup artist guys. And they just want everybody to have lots of, you know, crazy fornication and they're against marriage. And I think that's a really unfair characterization. Um, mm. I've done shows with people like Pearl or you know, other people who are kind of controversial, and I will not say that they're not. Of course, Pearl's very controversial. She right. comes out and says, you know, I say stuff that she doesn't agree with, she says stuff that I don't agree with, but there are some important places where I think that she and even Myron Gaines and, and Rola Tomasi that they have really good points about the state of things that those of us on the more Christian side like to put on our little rose-colored glasses and pretend those things don't matter or they're not real. Like, I just watched the Daily Wire episode on the red pill marriage thing.
1: Yeah, the red pillars got it wrong is what they called
2: it. (laughs) It was, I wanted to just reach through the screen and slap them a little bit, like Michael Knowles and Andrew (laughs) Clavin, especially, because I was just like, and then, you know, we, you have Matt Walsh saying stuff like, well, if you just spend more time with your wife, you divorce is a thing you don't have to worry about. And I'm just like, what boomer nonsense is this that, oh, you just, yeah, just make the women happy and it'll all work out fine. And and then Andrew Clavin said, well, I think feminism was the wrong solution to a legitimate problem. And I was just like, oh, I just wanted to fall backwards in my chair. And I I did tweet at him and I said, please let me send you my book because I think I think he knows the boomer narrative, right? That all the women were oppressed until feminism came along and rescued everybody. And now we have equality and equality is good and all this stuff. It's just like, it's the wrong paradigm to me. So we kind of come at it from a different angle, both Andrew and I, where we're, we're kind of trying to say, look, of course we believe in marriage, but most Americans today don't know what that word is, what it's supposed to mean, what it's supposed to be. Um, You know, I have people who are like, well, you know, but marriage is for everyone. It's not just for Christians. And it's like, that's that's fine. We could talk about that. But how is it that you think the United States, you know, the, the state government makes two people into one flesh. How is it that you think going down to the courthouse and getting this little legal document is supposed to keep families together, especially when we've created a system that incentivizes women to leave, it incentivizes people to break up? Uh, and there I mean, we could talk for hours about all the problems, but I just, I think that The Christ pill side is not accurately representing the red pill side, and they're being extremely naive, and they're just hand-waving this monstrosity of a system. Like If you guys have ever done any digging at all into the child support system, the family court system, who funds it, who runs it, what kind of a tentacle monster, billion-dollar industry that is, and they're just going, it doesn't matter. They literally said on the Daily Wire, they were like, oh, that's not a problem you have. If you have a Christian marriage and you and your wife are doing things correctly, those are not things you have to worry about. And I just feel like that's telling people there's a monster at the door, but, you know, you don't have to worry about it because you locked your door or something. Mm -hmm. It's just it's so naive to me and they don't want to address any of the problems that got us where we are. And that's just not going to help anyone.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I, I hate, I hate platitudes, but some of them are correct. So, like the you know progressives driving the speed limit, you know, being conservatives, and then also kind of looking at everybody being a feminist nowadays. It's really true because basically all they were laying out is more egalitarian nonsense, or <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. you know. Oh, it, Kind of like you said earlier on in the show though like just cover your eyes and your marriage is going to be perfectly fine it's like okay well for you guys 30 40 years ago that might have been okay but like for most people now like the entire dating landscape is completely changed and you know men's expectations and women's perceptions have completely changed so you know you have free 4k streaming porn at all times and then you also have women's perception they can get any guy anytime anywhere because they see all these other girls doing it so once again their perception right. is hey I could do this too but you know now we live in this distorted reality where like okay well you know you have to understand as a woman that eventually your day in the sun's going to go away and you know if you just come back to christ at 29 years old and say well now i'm i'm repenting of all my sins or riding the cock carousel and you know having a couple <laughs> yeah. kids from a couple different guys like you the worst part is that there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to be there that are going to say, Oh, no, 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 that's fine. And then he may get completely fucking wrecked by her. And then what's even worse is that you're going to create more atheists and non believers, and people are just completely and totally jaded by telling them, Just, you know, hold your nose and take the plunge and don't worry about the risks of marriage. Um, I think stuff like that's so harmful and it's why I hate dishonest marketing. You should always be honest with your audience. You should be honest to the people that you're selling to, and you should let them know upfront, like, Hey, these are the risks. These are the benefits you decide what you do. And this is why I think you and your husband and myself all kind of, you know, look at the stuff through the same angle, why we all kind of see praxeology is kind of like a necessary and good thing is because like, Hey, we can look at these problems and say, like, this is the reality go in with the knowledge and then decide what you're going to do don't just say okay well fuck it you know matt walsh and daily wire said go get married you'll be fine um yeah. you know just listen to that i think it's just very very dangerous
2: it is and it you're right it's kind of deceptive they're selling something they're they're selling you something that isn't true and doesn't really exist and they're i don't know if it's because like these guys are men for the most part i feel like candace made some more better points shockingly than, than the men did the men were basically like if you're being a good husband right then your wife will be happy and she'll have no reason to leave and she'll just right. stick around well, what's, what's the just... definition
1: of good husband too though and, and i guarantee you anytime you ask these guys <laughs> ryan stone <laughs> made a really good point he said why is it that every single time you ask matt walsh about what a good husband is it always ends up being how much you can look like matt walsh <laughs> But surely what it's going to be.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if that's going to help anybody. Right. Uh, not to be, I'm not trying to trash Matt Walsh. He seems like a fine enough man and I, he has a lovely family and that's good mm. stuff. We like that. Right. We want that. Absolutely. But I don't know if it's that they don't understand. I think they don't understand the psychology of women post feminism in particular. Women have always had a certain nature and a way. That they are that's different from men, obviously. We think it's an ontological thing. We don't see human beings as just like interchangeable widgets, but some of them have long curled hair and some of them have beards. We don't see it that way. We see male and female as created different by God. And something that I don't think these guys understand about women even without the feminism stuff, there's been um, two big, large-scale studies done. One I've talked about a whole bunch—the 2009 study, the paradox of female happiness—but they did a, a follow-up study that was even bigger and more cross-cultural to that study, where they evaluated the metrics of happiness and the the all of the like um, metrics of how much mental illness, depression, anxiety, like basically the mental state of women and what factors affect that, like their their financial status, their socio-political status, all these different things. And what the the authors of the study concluded is that just it doesn't matter the time, the place, the circumstances, women are not very happy. They're just like Jordan Peterson always says women are more prone to negative emotion and that's mm-hmm. true. It's just true. Um I had a lady today on Twitter who said, you know, I made a tweet about wifely submission and she was like, "Yeah, I want to be a good wife." But that's really hard for me when I feel like my wants aren't being met. Now, she didn't say needs. She said when my wants aren't being met. And I often feel like I want more. And I was like, welcome to being a woman, right? You're, you're always going to have times when you feel like you want more. Do you think men don't, by the way? Do you think men ever you know are just like wow my wife is the best i could have gotten she's perfect there is no improvements can be made you know she couldn't improve if she tried it's it's this silly idea where we think marriage is about happiness like my i should be happy and if i'm not happy there's got to be a problem with my marriage and this is the thing about women's minds that i think these men don't understand the reason that you can't build a marriage or a society or a family around women's emotions. We, uh, we have a lot of hormones going on. We have a lot of ups and downs, and we're just much more prone to being affected by negative emotion, like anxiety, worry, stress, depression, all these kinds of things. Uh, 26% of American women are on uh, antidepressants or psych meds of some kind. Mm -hmm. So if you think that the key to keeping your marriage together is just, we'll make her happy. Just spend more time with her. Just give her what she wants until she's happy. That's impossible to do, okay? We don't talk to women about the fact that your marriage and your family is not about you feeling happy all the time and feeling like all your wants are met. I've never heard, I've never heard a woman be so forward about it, but I kind of appreciated her cuz she was honest. She didn't say he's not meeting my needs. She was like, "I just feel like I want more a lot of the time." And that <laughs> makes me want to be that makes me want to be disobedient. It makes me want to challenge him on things. It makes me want to be difficult. And tests. it's like yes, the shit test. So it's like <laughs> these are the conversations that they're having on the red pill side now i don't agree with like myron about you should get 50 bodies and all this experience before you get married first Mm -hmm. of all that's never going to happen for the majority of men most men are never going to get 50 girls in the sack Mm -hmm. but even by the time they're 35 it's not going to happen It's even by his own statistics highly unlikely Um, And I don't think that that kind of experience is helpful. I don't think that just um, sleeping with a bunch of chicks is going to like teach you about women. Um, I think there's other experience you should have with women um, to learn about that. But having dads around would be a huge help having, you know, Mm. masculinity not be painted as this toxic problematic thing would be extremely helpful. Mm. Men used to be more comfortable having authority, creating boundaries, They knew that that was their natural God-given right that comes along with all the responsibility of running the entire world, you know, and creating the entire infrastructure and all of the systems that make our wonderful modern world run. But over the last 50 years, we've like beat that out of men where we've told them, no, that's problematic. You need to have all the responsibility, but if you have authority, you're going to be abusive with it. We can't trust you. You're going to be aggressive. You're going to be abusive. So you can't have any authority. Those kind of things are what's wrong. And those are the conversations that we're not having on the Christ pill side that have to be had, or these problems are not going to get fixed. Simply telling them make your your wife happier isn't going to work
1: yeah well <laughs> when was the last time that like you listened to a woman and then <laughs> took what she said did it and then she still wasn't happy <laughs> like the, the uh, every i'm single. sure every, yeah, <laughs> every single husband boyfriend whoever a uh, guy who's just seeing a woman knows that that's the the truth so i want to get to a few of these comments here uh meredith she she definitely looks thin yes we will definitely get into mm-hmm. that towards the end of the show yes she's referring oh, to you thanks <laughs> oh it's so nice um i gustav i believe i need to watch this one for the beginning once it's over and i found my next audible credit so that's pretty cool he'll be going to support you um <laughs> my buddy kevin i had a pastor that coaxed married women who attended the church and getting massages from him he was married that's not yeah. not a good uh not a good pastor uh christianity doesn't no. fix it um i would one conversation i'm sure we'll get into a little bit later is uh, orthodox christianity because this has been probably the only branch of any religion that's Kind of piqued my interest um i i i'm not sold because i'm just far too ignorant of religion but um all the conversations (laughs) i've had with the people in the orthodox christian community i've absolutely loved and all the people there um anytime i bash religious people it is never about orthodox christians because they're always um very very well composed and i think that you guys have the best overall kind of outlook on things um there's some things that i just need to learn more about before i give a more yeah. educated opinion but like every single time i hear you buck tommy uh jay your husband talk about anything um especially when it comes to a certain country in the middle east i'm like wow these guys just have like the best <laughs> stance right off the bat so um any anytime i bash religious people it's never you guys so um the same way as like every time i see people talk about um Red, you know, those red pill guys, and they you know, and so they go to fresh and fit, Pearl, Andrew Tate, who Andrew yeah. Tate isn't even explicitly red pill. I'm like, Oh, they're they're not talking about me, but I still feel that like need to kind of say, like, that's not me. Like, this is what right. the red pills but no one's gonna listen, anyways. And then this one last one, uh, Meredith study shows that single women are the happiest, though. So is happiness the actual metric to use for success? Um, I want to give my thoughts on this, then I want to throw this over to you. Um, I don't think happiness is a good metric because Um, I don't think you can just walk up to people at random times and ask them if they're happy because when I'm the happiest it's when I'm playing like a show right when my band is opening for Lita Ford or Steel Panther or something (laughs) yeah something like that I'm I'm an OG
2: Lita Ford fan don't you make fun of me people she's underrated
1: we opened for her twice and both times it was awesome. But, like, that kind of stuff, I'm ecstatic. But then right after that, or, you know, I hit a new record on the deadlift, I'm stoked. But then it immediately goes away because the human condition is defined by discontent. And especially as guys, we want to keep doing better and better and better because we have this innate burden of performance where we're always expected to do better and better and better. And, like, if we didn't, we would have died off so long ago. Women wouldn't have wanted us. So, you know, stuff like that. So. What do you think about women being happy and what do you think about, um, you know, single women, particularly supposedly being the happiest of all women?
2: Well, that statistic, first of all, comes from one specific gentleman, as far as I know, like most of the time when people reference that, it comes from this one researcher from the UK who says all the time that. Single unmarried women, uh, childless women are the happiest, and he thinks marriage is a good deal for men and a bad deal for women. He bases this on some really narrow, I mean, everybody probably knows about the sociological and psychological uh, problems with studies, how they can't ever, like they have the worst of the replication crisis, they can never seem to uh, replicate any of their results in a lot of things. Um, I think that's different than doing like an epidemiological study, like the paradox of female happiness was different than that. Um, he, you know, they're talking about things like surveys. And when we talk about happiness, Mm. what does that mean? And stuff (laughs) like that. So it's like, yeah, asking women how they feel about things is not science. Exactly. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't think anything should be based on happiness because, you know, who who's happy all the time? Who who have you ever heard say, well, I wasn't ever very happy until I got married and I've been happy ever since. I I don't think anybody even thinks that way. So it's more like we're going to struggle in life. Life's going to have struggles, challenges. It's going to have good days and bad days and and suffering involved in it. And it's like, do you feel like the juice is worth the squeeze? Do you feel like you're getting something out of what you're putting in and like somebody in the chat said contentment that's a better word I think Mm. Um, but it's really more for me it's always more about like meaning and purpose like the last two years of my life have been ridiculously busy super hectic Uh, I've been putting in crazy amounts of work in like every aspect of my life so I can't say that every day feels happy Mm. uh, but is it worth it do I feel like I've made the most progress towards um, goals that I think are really really good and exciting things that I'm working towards. Yes. So overall, like I'm satisfied, but I don't, but every day doesn't feel happy when I have like a full on migraine and I have to do info wars and you just can't like call in sick to that. And you have to do it with the migraine. I'm not happy in the moment, but like later, I'm glad that I, that I somehow pulled that off, you know, Mm -hmm. same thing with. Uh, she noticed that I've lost a bunch of weight. That's been murder. It's been really hard. It's been really tough. I've had a lot of health problems I've been dealing with, but I just don't give up. And I'm pleased with myself that I keep going, that I push through no matter what happens. I'm like, I'll figure it out. I'll work it out. And I keep going. Those are the things that kind of give you like, like my dad used to always tell us, me and my sister when we were growing up, that self-esteem is based on acting in a way that you can be proud of later that you'll be proud of in 10 years. And that like really stuck with me. And I think that that's true. So happiness, I think is kind of fleeting. It's a mood, it's a moment and you can have like bad years in your marriage and still come out the other end and be really glad that you, that you did stick it out and that you worked through things.
1: Yeah. So maybe uh, some of the Red Bull guys might actually knock me for this. But, you know, um, whenever I have a bad time, like my wife and I may have like a disagreement or something like that. And like very, very rarely do her and I have any issues ever. But um, in those moments, I do actually kind of like to look back and think about this one particular moment, the day that we were getting married and actually looking out into the beach, you know, the coastline of Florida and counting the seagulls until I could turn around and finally see her, you know, coming down to the beach. So that way we could see our vows and everything like that. And I also think about the time that we first met and stuff like that. If I, I guess the question I would always ask is like, would I ever take that moment back over what, what we're dealing with right now? Like last month was a very, very hard month for myself in particular. And it wasn't like anything that I knew I couldn't get over, but it was just like a lot of external shit not like personal stuff but just kind of like bullshit constantly being shoved at me and then even at like my work and stuff all the other guys were like man fucking january was rough and i think everybody was kind of feeling that way but like like i said i think back to those kind of moments or you know like i was saying earlier open for still panther elite Ford or something like that i think about those moments that i ever think like is being in a band is being married to my wife is Are those you know are these horrible moments worth not doing any of that and the answer to me every single time is that like it's clearly worth whatever suffering that i'm going through right now to have been able to do all that and continue to keep pushing forward and i'm sure you probably have plenty of moments like that with andrew
2: yeah oh yeah for sure january kicked the shit out of us like (laughs) it started off like right on new year's eve at midnight with me Mm -hmm. making a little tweet that i thought was fine and it blew up into a whole thing Uh, which we're not going to get into (laughs) today for reasons, but you know, it felt like the whole month was just people attacking a straw man version of me that didn't exist and me being constantly on the defensive. And then me, you know, me going back and forth with, I don't even need to defend myself against this. It's so, it's so nonsensical. And then me going, Well, but I do feel like and, you know, you feel like it's external stuff pulling at you, like you said, like you feel just like you don't have a lot of control, which really I always try to remind myself the times I think I have control are mostly an illusion. I really don't have as much control in life as I think I do. All I can control is how I react and what actions and steps i take so i right. try to focus on that stuff but it's like yeah andrew and i have had rough times that, i mean we've just gone through hard things we've gone through like really heartbreaking really difficult things um we've struggled because we had a large family and we started out with no money and it's like you know clawing our way out of debt and right. things which we've done but it was like it was a long decade of just working and grinding every day all the time and f- you know you feel like it's been years and we're not where we want to be, you know, and and just constantly trying to level up, constantly trying to improve, tr- constantly trying to get better. And I think the thing other than our faith, which is the primary thing, and the fact that both of us just really wanted to have like an intact family and keep it together because we just know what it's like when that doesn't happen. Uh, the thing that I think we grow together that's like a big deal for us we both have like a self-improvement mindset you know so if he's not doing so great with something or he's fallen off the wagon with like you know he's fallen into a bad habit or i've fallen into a bad habit or you're not doing your best we can kind of nudge each other and be like hey you know you're kind of slacking but i know you have it in you you can do this like let's go let's get up and let's go and let's you know you i'll push you and you push me and we'll do this together and that's kind of how we've How we've made it work. That's how we've attacked life and life's problems is by trying to do it together and push each other because, you know, he looks at me and sees all this incredible potential that I don't see in myself and vice versa. I always look at him and think he's like, everybody loves to tease me in his chat by saying that I simp for him, which I do. But it's only because I think he's fantastic and amazing and I'm constantly in awe that I'm married to this person. So when he's having a bad day, I try to remind him of that and he does the same thing for me. And so Mm -hmm. that's pretty priceless, though. I will say that's pretty priceless to have in life. If you've got that, you can get through anything.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that's kind of your job as a wife, I and obviously it's not my place to tell people what they're supposed to do, but I do think, you know, a good wife, a good girlfriend is always there to be supportive of their husband, and always make sure that, like, hey, all your other needs are met that you don't already take care of. Right. Um, let me see here. Nuke said, stupid fucking discord uh always needing a perfect mental <laughs> state is a female trait seek so covid 19 measures to keep us safe yeah exactly, exactly. Well, the world's a fucking dangerous mm-hmm. place you know and I, I think that's kind of what red pill praxeology is mainly about is to give guys the equipment to go out into the dangerous world and say like okay well now you can accurately assess threat and your risk your risk tolerance and then also where you stand and how much you can take on in terms of risk and all that stuff you know like hey So, if you know that the average guy has like a, you know, the average marriage is what do they say? 56% of marriages end in divorce, right? Then what can you do as an average dude to put yourself out of that average? And it's really not much. So, like, Nuke and I talked about this when he was on the show last. Like, the average dude's over like 200 pounds. He can't even lift deadlift like 300 pounds, you know, just very, very simple stuff that, like, if you put conscious effort into going to the gym for like a year, if you eat just somewhat right you know decent amount of fiber protein whatever like just do that and work out two to four times a week you're gonna just fly right out right out of average in like a couple months to a year and then that already dramatically lowers your risk of a woman leaving you or you know completely fucking you over but i mean even beyond that you still have to accept that at some level that still could happen and that's really what i think a lot of the main ideas around the red pill is just that like accepting the risks and just understanding the world around you as it is your place in it
2: yeah 100 percent. and i mean it's not like it's risk-free for women but even as a woman i have to admit that the entire system is built it's (laughs) this is the paradox of feminism uh women are strong (laughs) and independent they don't need men for anything they have total autonomy and agency over themselves But at the same time, we have to build the world around reducing risk for women, right? Right. We have to make everything geared to... Because this is something that I criticize my team, my team, I hate this whole thing of everybody being on teams, but it's like the the Christ TradCon group online, just if they see a woman sad, it has to be the fault of a man somewhere. They really have (laughs) this idea that women are born angels innocent well-meaning angels who would never do anything bad would never do anything wrong unless and until a man somewhere came along and corrupted them let them down failed them in some way and now she has to do what she has to do to survive and that's why she's the way she it's like no that's all bullshit i hate to tell you but that's such bullshit uh women learn from a very early age how to manipulate and how to Uh, you know, like use a lot of kind of subversive tactics to get what they want, because it's not like when you're a man and you, you know, if guys have a disagreement, they might just punch each other. They might, they might Mm -hmm. just work it out on the playground or whatever. Women don't learn that kind of thing and they don't learn hierarchy. We don't have a hierarchy among women the same way that men do. So it's like they learn other tactics. They learn to be Uh, you know, to cry if they get something they, to get something they want. You know, how many times have you seen a video where a cop pulls over a woman and she'll start to cry to try to get out of the ticket or she'll flirt with the cop to try to get out? Men can't do that. I mean, maybe a small, tiny percentage of men could get away with that with a female cop, but generally it's like women just learn different methods to get what they want than men do. And we're all going to sit around and pretend like that's not true. We're going to all sit around and pretend like a hot twenty-two-year-old can't get anything she wants from men. Like she, she can literally just get anything just for existing. And when that's all you know, it makes life really hard when you hit thirty. And suddenly that's not happening anymore. And this is when this is when they all go on TikTok and start to cry. Right? I don't understand why the world is so mean and why everything's so hard. And now I'm lonely and I don't know what happened. And it's like we do them a horrible disservice. By by treating them like babies and and acting like it's fine that when they're 22 and hot and they're on top of the world that like you go girl that's what you did de- you deserve we're always telling women about what they deserve and then we always tell men about you need to step it up you need to do better you need to try harder you know, nobody feels bad for men if a man goes and makes a TikTok crying the the reactions usually overwhelmingly negative, right. they can't even do that. And I'll hear people say, well, that's why we need feminism. We need feminism because men have to know it's okay to be weak and cry. And it's like, no, no, that's, you're also just missing the point. It's not that we want the men to be more sensitive and effeminate. It's fine and good and healthy for men to have a lot of responsibility and to be challenged. Like you said, men need challenges or they feel like they're dying. They just feel purposeless. They get depressed. They start to just. Feel like there's no point to living. Men need a good challenge and they need responsibility, Mm -hmm. but they also you can't you can't put that on them and then tell them they have no authority. It has to be both together. And then for the women, it's like, yeah, you have you can have some agency and you should have some agency, especially if you're going to be a mother. I always say people seem to think that I think femininity is weakness. I do not. (laughs) I absolutely don't think that you should be uh, weak and incapable and incompetent and unable to do anything in life as a woman. That was certainly not the case when my grandma was growing up. Like she could go in the backyard and butcher a chicken. She could raise a whole garden. She knew how to roll cigars. She could, you know, do farm labor. She could do all kinds of stuff. She was an incredibly handy, capable lady. She just didn't think it was her job to tell every man around her what he needs to be doing and that he needs to be doing it on her time frame and things like that. So there's a historical way that men and women have always gotten along in the world that worked really well. And we just decided to, like, invert that. And now we wonder why everything's problematic, you know. And this stuff seems like it should be simple. But trying to, I mean, just, just listening to the Daily Wire guys talk, I was like, <laughs> they they are... They're on the moon. Like they're not even close to reality. They're not even close. It's so bad. It's so bad on like the conservative right. And I'm like, how are y'all out here saying, well, I don't see any reason why we should tell the gays that they can't get married. But then at the same time, you're like, actually, if marriage is bad, it's because the men aren't doing enough. It's just they want to have like the weirdest. It's like this weird cognitive dissonance on the right. I'm so tired of the whole right wing to be honest it's just i don't know what to do with them anymore and it's to the point where i'm annoyed to be associated with them but at the same time i absolutely hate the left so i'm not going there it's like
1: yeah I, i think you and i are in the same box in that respect because like I consider myself a right winger, and people may say that I'm not. And look, whatever, because these, like you said, these terms get to be so fucking goofy. But like, I don't know what else you call, you know, I'm a blue collar worker who grew up from a single mom and busted his ass to get to where he is today. I've been with the same woman for five years, absolutely hates feminism, you know, embraces inequality because I realize that that's a very, very important part of our world. Um, I I just hate the current representation of the right wing today, because it's all anytime you hear masculinity, it's generally to manipulate a guy to do what you want to do. Right. And anytime, you know, the right wing is talking about anything, it's like, it's never about you know, what right wing really is, which basically respect for hierarchy and recognition of natural order and things like that. Or, you know, family values are promoting what the Republican Party is supposed to be about. So, like, when you think about Trump, you know, he's a completely total egalitarian. And I remember I actually got into a beef with somebody and it was at you called him a feminist. And I'm like, you know what? I can't think of a more accurate term to describe Trump, but like, this is the guy who's foisted up as like the right wing champion. It's like, are, are you fucking kidding me? And then you, know. you have Dave Rubin who adopted a child. And I'm, I think you and I kind of come to the same perspective when it comes to surrogacy. I think that's absolutely morally wrong. Cause I don't believe there ever should be a child that's taken away from its natural birth mother. And especially given to a man. <laughs> like, I, I think it's very, very wrong. And like, this is yeah. our right wing today. And this is who we have to be associated and lumped in with. And like that's not us yes. at all.
2: No, it's not. It's not. But I mean, the the lines have gotten so crossed and skewed. And this is why I'm I'm annoyingly a philosophy bro, because I think you have to understand mm-hmm. like the genesis of mm-hmm. ideas and where where thing where ideas come from. And then you have mm-hmm. if you have historical background on things, it helps a lot because a lot of us. I'd say 95% of people, you're plopped into this modern Americanist worldview. It's like a phronema to use the Greek where you see the world this way, right? Where we're Americans and liberty and freedom are the most important thing, but it's never really liberty or freedom to do something virtuous. It, when people tell you about their rights, when they tell you about their freedoms, it's always like freedom to have abortion, freedom to do gay butt sex. Right. It's always freedom to or freedom to, you know, hey, man, if I want to lay on the couch and smoke weed all day, it's none of your concern. And it's mm-hmm. I'm not hurting anybody, bro. So you get this like utilitarian morality, especially since we don't have real religion anymore that, you know, I've been extremely critical. and I get in a lot of trouble for the modern state of Western Christianity and how bad I think it is. Uh, Islam is not better. All the people out there who right. think Islam is so based and they get it all right now. They're, they're getting it they, too. They've been subverted too. And mm-hmm. so it's like, nobody knows what their morality is or where it comes from. You see this every single episode of The Crucible <laughs> where, you know, my husband will question somebody or or someone else will question the other person on like how they arrive at their moral moral conclusions. How do you know what's good and bad? What's right and wrong? Most people couldn't tell you. They just know that they've been plopped into the current society they're in, and they know about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey or who uh, that ding dong football player that sounds like he can't string two words together in his little acceptance speech. I didn't even watch the sports ball, but I saw like a couple <laughs> clips of that, and I was like, who is this guy, and why can't he talk? He was just like, derp, 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 and just yelling stuff. I was just, yeah. these are the people that everyone's looking up to. And this Taylor Swift is like single and childless and 34. And we're supposed to believe that like she's the prize for this high status (laughs) dude. And I'm just like, yeah, the girl who's all her songs are about dumping guys or breaking up with guys and why they all sucked and aren't good enough for her. Yeah. And she's she's already hitting the wall. And we're supposed to believe that she's like this glorious (laughs) prize with her awful attitude and everything else. So it's just our culture is so fucked right now. That people don't know why they believe what they believe. They do, They can't justify any of that, even to themselves. So when they run into moral problems in life, they don't know what the hell to do. And most of their pastors don't know what the hell to do. If they even go to a church, if they even have a church. Your lesbian bishop is not going to help you determine what's good and bad or right and wrong because she's already wrong. You can't be a lesbian (laughs) bishop, okay? So it's like, we just live in like funny world reality where it's, I think most people in America now reduce right and wrong to like, is it hurting someone or harm principles? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of problems with just reducing everything to harm and consent. You Mm -hmm. end up with the world we have now, if that's what you do.
1: Yeah, well, you know, this has kind of been something that's been bugging me a lot lately because- um. After listening to specifically some of the debates that your husband has done um, when it comes to morality and stuff like that, I'm agnostic and I- I've I've questioned my position a lot and the libertarian assumptions. And I-, I think a lot of what you said there does kind of encapsulate a lot of libertarians of the way they look at morality. But, um, you know, I-, I think about like when people ask the question, well, <laughs> why can't people be necrophiliacs? And like, what is the libertarian objection to that? Well, there's no harm being done. Um, you know, it, yeah. to me, it's like it, it. there's a disgust to that because it's not a living being who can consent. But once again, there's no harm being done. But like if you look at it through a strictly libertarian worldview, which I've heard people do, they say, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. There'd be nothing morally wrong with yeah. fucking your mom or something like that. Right. Um, i you know what's the argument for that for a libertarian perspective and like it's it's just something i couldn't very well articulate although i would definitely sound morally opposed to it but if you ask me why i would say well <laughs> i think it's wrong i don't think you should be having sex with dead people <laughs> like that's yeah. that's disgusting to me but once again what I, I i can't say i have a good grounding for that so this has been something i've wrestled with for, for quite a bit
2: yeah it's actually a really tough question and like i said it's if you look at the revolutionary period and the great thinkers of like the enlightenment revolutionary period, and those were the architects of like the French revolution and the American revolution and some of the things they thought you can really see how we ended up where we are now and how these ideas seemed like a good thing at the time. And I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I wouldn't say that like all libertarian thought is bad. Certainly not. I, I went through a pretty long libertarian phase in my twenties and Some of the things they get, I think you should have a right to own property. I think men need to own property. In fact, one of the things that the Bolsheviks wanted to do to really push feminism there when they took over, um, of course, they want to get rid of private property because it's part of the Marxist ethos where it's like, uh, if you get rid of private property rights, everything else they want, they get it. But they specifically would say it, the problem with private property is that men owning things and being able to pass them down to their sons and grandsons, uh, this is actually the problem. Because then the women want to serve and take care of the men. And we need them to honor the state. They should be serving Lenin, was what they would say. You, you know Your husband, no, you don't serve, honor, and obey him. Lenin is your husband now. Everything goes to the state. If you have children, it's for the state. In fact, they didn't even want people to know who the paternity was of the children. They wanted to have like mm-hmm. um, kind of like this open parentage stuff. They didn't have well, DNA well, testing get into this yet. Sort of bit,
1: yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. So they, they wanted to have like communal raising of kids, because if you take away private property rights from men, if you take away paternity rights from men, what real motivation do they have to like build a business, accrue wealth? Purchase property, build things that are, you know, build great things that they're not even going to see come to fruition. It's going to be more for their grandkids or something. It just strips men and neuters them of all of that um, motivation. And that's exactly what they wanted. Then the only motivation and the only loyalty becomes to serve the state. And then eventually we're going to get to this stateless society where we're all global citizens working for the common good of the global commune, right? Um, and part of what I do is read all the boring ass shit that feminists were writing 100 to 150 years ago or 200 years ago that nobody else is ever going to read. In fact, I've talked to women who have like PhDs in gender studies that haven't read the stuff that I've read. And the thing about it is that it really helps you understand like the mindset Of these people who pushed this stuff, who started these ideas and where it comes from, then you realize just how bad it is. That's why, like, sometimes people read my book and they'll be like, Holy crap, I had no idea. Like, I really didn't understand where all of this comes from. So, I think there's aspects of liberty that are good that we should keep. But I mean, there there were aspects of those things that we had under feudal systems and monarchies, like Hoppe will talk about. You know, I'm a big Mm -hmm. Hoppe fan. He was really kind of. The guy that got me out of libertarianism, actually. Um, if I want to be honest, but I know that a lot of libertarians don't like Hoppe. But I'm if I like anarchist or libertarian ideas, they're gonna be more that direction. So I, I just see that through the last 150 years, the people who have tried to dismantle everything just try to like completely annihilate the systems that worked for humanity for thousands of years. Those people, if you look at their actual spiritual beliefs, they are like Gnostic, they're transhumanist, they have some really crazy, really bizarre ideas about what humanity is and where it should go. And of course, they're always the people who think they ought to be steering it, right? So I'm totally against all of that too. I don't want top-down tyranny, I don't want globalism, I don't want just that type of uh, rampant tyrannical authority either, so... I'm kind of rambling at this point no, no. no let you re- rein it back in <laughs>
1: yeah um it, so it seems like a lot of like distant right-wingers would be more of like minarchist which um is a position that i would you know wholeheartedly embrace because like at heart i'm an anarchist but um you know realistically I, that's never gonna happen so like mm-hmm. like you said hop like the idea of a very very tight social order That has libertarian ideals is I think the only way that you can kind of have a libertarian order in the real world is by having very, very high social expectations upon one another, because let's face it, freedom is a lot of responsibility for people and specifically what. When you look at like this whole border situation, we have to reckon with the fact that like these people may not be able to carry that same burden as well as some other people might be. And yeah. let's say they're any less of beings or less moral or anything like that. Let's just say like we need to accurately assess people and their abilities. And that's part of just, you know, the natural order. Like they're just going to be some people that are better at things than other people no matter what. Um, I wanted to tap on some of these comments. Caroline, hello. Thank you so much for dropping by. I think y'all focus too much on people's stats. If you ever listen to Travis Kelce talk, it's clear he's not like the kind of guy who would ever seek out the red pill. He's just a normie. Get over it. I mean, he, Taylor Swift is- Well, of know, course probably, he's
2: a normie. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's why um, this is engineered. This whole Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey thing is pretty engineered. It's yeah. just like how they do with a lot of other things like this, where they did pick the most normie guy and then put him with the biggest pop star in the world. And then everybody's focused on the story. It gets everybody into the woke NFL stuff. It, You have little girls that are like crying and fainting at Taylor Swift concerts, and she's doing like actual witchcraft rituals in her concerts. Now you could think I'm crazy. Um, but if you go watch my friend Jamie Hanshaw's channel, she does a really good job of breaking all of that down. And it really is, it's, it's pretty bad stuff. Um, And she's like saying that abortion is a Christian, uh, you know, real Christians value abortion. Yeah. Yeah, Things like that. So these people, it's the same thing that they've been doing for a hundred years in the Hollywood machine and the entertainment industry where they take these people and they hold them up and, and push social engineering through them. So. it's it's not really about people's stats you know just to address that real quick it's really not about like oh how old you are and how many eggs Mm -hmm. you have left or are you six foot six figures in a six pack most people are average by definition i'm very average i'm an average lady in most ways um i might be a little bit smarter i guess that's the only thing Lord gave me because he gave me crooked teeth. So I get the extra few IQ points, but like on, on the whole, I'm very average. I'm just an average lady. There's nothing. I'm not a supermodel. I'm never going to be a supermodel. Um, I'm not like super talented at one particular thing where I'm just going to ever be a Taylor Swift and that's fine. And that's good. I don't really want that. When you see what people who get like global stardom, what their life is like, it seems like hell to me. So I think, being average is actually more conducive to your happiness, and I think that's something that everybody should embrace again. I think one of the things that's wrong with some of the Redfield people, most of them don't push this, but if you do, you don't need a Bugatti and you don't need 250k and all that sort of stuff. You can be Kyle and just be super cool and be a mechanic who's in a super awesome band and has a great personality and grows a good beard. You're going to be fine. You're going to get you a lady, right? Just Mm -hmm. That's most of us. Most of us are average. We're imperfect. We have a past. And most of us are going to have to work through all those things with each other. That's the average Mm -hmm. marriage. This idea that you're going to find a spotless virgin and the spotless virgin (laughs) is going to find the six foot seven guy with the abs, you know, and the Bugatti. It's just that's not life for Mm -hmm. for almost any of us.
1: Yeah, I think some people do get a little bit jaded about that kind of stuff, but I guess that kind of brings us to the uh, other topic I wanted to talk to you about, and that's the Christ pill. Um, I want to give my thoughts, and I'm curious your kind of thoughts on this, and you might agree with me. You might think I'm a a retard for this perspective, but I'm I'm curious either way. Um, I don't think I'll
2: think you're a retard.
1: (laughs) Well, just, just caveating that very early on. So like chase sovereign bra he blocked me because i was kind of going after him and i was being a little bit of a dick but i i think he deserved it a little bit um he put out this tweet where he like described this wonderful trad woman and then in the follow-up tweet he said you can find your trad wife if you join my dating network i was like dude come the fuck on like you cannot market shit like that to people because you know what the and i've made this point before what's going to happen is you're going to make more atheists that way because guys are going to think oh i've prayed and i finally found you know god finally brought me the solution because you know i was disciplined and i prayed enough and then they join this dating network and probably there's a bunch of 29 year old girls in there who are finally deciding that they want to settle down and then either they join that group to you know They were a hoe all through their early twenties and late teens. And then now all of a sudden they found God or they just want to fuck chase. And then, you know, when this guy who joins the group doesn't get his trad wife, he's disappointed. And he says, well, fuck it all. This is all bullshit. I'm fucking done. And he gets jaded. And then he goes to the red pill. He subscribes to girls only fans because you know, it's all hopeless anyways. But like my problem with the christ pills that it's like wearing religion like a skin suit and the red pill is just a praxeology religion is so much deeper it's a much more personal thing that you experience on an individual level and it it should be completely separate from a pill because like i said religion is a very very wholesome thing the red pill isn't it's just data and information Religion is not. So like this idea that like we're aligning these two and equating these two and not necessarily that people are doing this, but this is kind of like when you say the Christ pill, you're equating it to something like the red pill. And I just I think that plays down how significant religion is for a lot of people. And I just just shit like that is so stupid to me. Like your religion is your religion. Your relationship with God is your relationship with God. That's personal to you, and your religion should be shared with other people, and you should enjoy it with other people. But like to just say you take the Christ pill just seems like it's such like a, a hand wave, fifteen minute Christian kind of deal where you could say, "Oh, I'm Christ pilled," and then, um, it, it just seems like to really cheapen people's sincere beliefs. And honestly, it seems like it's taking advantage of people's good faith.
2: Yeah, I I agree with everything that you just said. The <laughs> thing, the thing about it. it's a little tough for me because do I want people to move towards Christianity and religion? Yes, I do. For, um, all sorts of reasons. But my frustration is that, you know, for all the reasons that I had trouble evangelizing as a Protestant, right? I spent 40 years as a Protestant, but being somebody who was interested enough in the theology and like being able to articulate Two people who aren't believers, because, right, the, the non-believers are going to be skeptics by nature, and they're going to come at you, and they're going to ask you all the tough questions. Why doesn't this in the Bible make sense? Why does it seem to say one thing here and contradict itself there? Um, well, if I can just repent on my deathbed, why bother, uh, you know, living a virtuous life? If I can just do whatever I want, and then when I'm about to die, I just quick do a, sorry, God, I'm a, I promise, I believe, and then I'm going to be forgiven. <coughs> Things like that. I struggled with answering those questions because I was raised in like a Calvinist theology that is extremely illogical and it has a lot of holes and it has a lot of problems. I didn't learn growing up that that was invented 550 some years ago. It was not the first 1500 years of Christianity. None of these things were taught. That was not what people believed. And so now Uh, I don't want to come off as somebody who's like in there. I'm three years into Orthodoxy now. We were just baptized. We had a long catechism, which I think you should have. I think you should take your time and uh, really learn what it is that Orthodox Christianity is and what we believe, because I, I do strongly believe that if you do, it is miraculous. You will, you'll look at the whole of it and you'll say, wow, this is like a completely holistic system that actually does make sense. It makes sense of my experience as a human being makes sense of the world around me. It makes sense of how, how and why I need to have faith in this person called Christ. And it tells you who he is, which Western Christianity does not. And I, I get so much shit from that. You guys, you don't even know. I get so many angry Protestants and even Roman Catholics, Uh, who didn't like that part of my book, who don't like that part of my tweets. But the unfortunate thing is it does turn into this, right? So in my book, I take a whole chapter to talk about like the Great Awakening and how when the most radical Protestants came to America, it became sola scriptura gone wild, right? Uh, Just me and my Bible. The Holy Spirit will move me and tell me the truth about what's in here. And that's how I'll know what real Christianity is when if you actually know about the history of the Bible and how the canon was formed, we had four centuries of Christianity with no biblical canon. We had 1500 years of Christianity before most people could read the Bible or had access to it on a daily basis. It was scriptures that were held in different churches for a few centuries that were read in the liturgy. So it was litur The scriptures were there for the purpose of being a liturgical book. It wasn't Christ didn't come and leave a book. He came and left a church. He established a church. He created his bishops. His apostles were breathed on and became bishops with the power to remit and retain sins. And the Bible comes from the church, not the other way around. But when those radical Protestants got to America, they didn't even call their churches churches, a lot of them. They called them meeting houses. They wouldn't have a cross in it because they didn't want to do idolatry. They just started getting really wacky, weird ideas um, like Anabaptists and Mennonites and um, some of the Amish folks. And then you got like Joseph Smith and all the Mormons. And then you've got space Jesus and you get your own planets after you die. I mean, some of the theology out there is so wild and so silly that I honestly don't blame modern secular people for, oh, let's take a look at this Christianity and see what it's about. And they turn a few pages or they read a few scrolls on something. They're like, this is ridiculous and it's absurd. And how can anybody believe in this? Right. It does. It sounds crazy. Then you get to orthodoxy and you have this 2000 year unchanged tradition that actually like you're, finding out that the Bible is this incredibly impossibly self-referencing miraculous thing that's filled with typology. So like the tree in the garden is a type of the cross and Adam is a type of Christ and Mary is the new covenant and all there's way more than I could even get into in this stream. If you guys want to know all that kind of stuff, like Jay Dyer's channel is good for that. Seraphim Hamilton does a great job on his channel with that sort of thing. But you'll find that like, Protestants took the best uh, proofs of Christianity and the prophecies in the Bible being fulfilled by Christ, and they just tossed them out. They got rid of them. That's why their their uh, Bible has far less books. They don't include, you know, a lot of stuff that we have in our Bible. And if you get an Orthodox study Bible, it's got the best footnotes and it helps make sense of all these things. It even explains in the front like what the different books mean, what periods they were in. Yes, there you go. Those the notes in that Bible are incredible. And if I would have had that earlier in my life, I think so many things would have gone different for me. But that that's my little speech. But back to why the the Christ pill thing is annoying. It's because, yeah, you can't take thousands of years of incredible, impossible wisdom, like the wisdom of the saints and church fathers and turn it into, uh, you know,
0: Jesus, bro.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, bro. Just come to my church and you'll find the good girls. It's like if you look at Protestant churches right now, and even Catholic churches, my friend Tim Gordon, who is a Roman Catholic, talks about this all the time. That since Vatican II, the state of the Catholic Church has been feminist, socialist, woke, just as much as the Protestants. Um, I wrote a piece on how big NGO money has infiltrated those churches and corrupted them. This is why they're pushing in in Catholicism for gay marriage and female deacons, which, of course, female deacons is just their little stepping stone to female priests. Um, And the Protestant world, ever since the First Great Awakening, has just been a total free-for-all of DIY theology, make up your own Jesus. You've got buddy Jesus. You've got boyfriend Jesus. You've got hippie Jesus. You know, Mm -hmm. people are like the foot-washing commercial from the Super Bowl. That is just woke Jesus, okay? Jesus Christ was a historical person. He was a historical person born and incarnated into a certain time and place. He's not an avatar or like a symbol for whatever you think things should be like, but that's what he's become. So when you try to just say, oh, Christianity will fix it, not in America, not in 2024. Uh, we've all heard the horror stories, but I'll just say my dad was a deacon in the church I grew up in. He was raised in the church and was very serious about his faith, but he was a little bit, he was having some party time in his twenties and he and my mom were just kind of dating and oops, they got pregnant with me. Uh, But my dad saw me after I was born and he was like, I'm not letting anybody else raise this baby. I want to be her dad. So he married my mom My mom's kind of, she was raised Catholic, but by then I think she was completely atheist, but she was like, well, I guess I'll give this family stuff a shot. Long story short, she got her hands on all kinds of feminist literature and um, decided she needed to go find herself and be happy and everything. So she cheats on my dad, has an affair and leaves my dad for this guy. And our church did not admonish her, did not do anything to her because she already doesn't care, right? She's like, I don't even care. I don't yeah. even want to be in the church. I'm going to run off with my new boyfriend and start my new life. My poor dad gets kicked off the consistory. He can no longer be a deacon in the church because they're like, well, you're divorced now. And that's against our rules. So you can't. Mm-hmm. So he actually got kicked out of his church because his own wife left him. So how did that work out for my dad? He did what he was supposed to do. You know, he married the lady. Now you could argue that he chose poorly and I'm sure he would agree with you. But he tried to do all those right things that Matt Walsh and everybody tells you to do. He joined the church. He got his family in the church. We were there for nine years. He's on the consistory and he gets kicked off because his wife chooses to have an affair. Um, I just did a stream with Glenn Lawrence where he had a gentleman on who was a Presbyterian priest and his wife abused him, did him dirty and left him and he lost his whole church for it. So unfortunately, the church cannot protect you from the divorce courts and the church cannot protect you from family court law. We took what used to be a sacrament prior to America. If you go back, We had marriage as a sacrament through the church. And if you wanted a divorce, you had to go through the ecclesiastical court. So if you were a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox, you know, 500 years ago, 600 years ago, if you wanted a divorce, you had to go to the ecclesiastical court and tell the priest and the bishop why you needed a divorce. And you better have a darn good reason. Now, they did allow divorce in cases of things like abuse, abandonment, insanity, um, certain special cases where like for whatever reason they feel the two people being together is worse for their salvation than them staying together. But usually it would be a deal like this. The priest would say, okay, we're going to give you this divorce, but only if both of you go off and be monastics for the rest of your life. So if you hate being together so much that you want to go be a nun and a monk instead, you can do that. And that would be the choice. <clears throat> but now that's not what we have. What we have now is a little license that you get from the state that if you just um it's basically a roommate agreement without the ones like you who work
1: tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency
0: or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call com or just stop by Granger for the ones
2: who get it done men is all it is and it it means for men that if the woman ever decides to leave which she usually does because like i said women sit there and go but i'm not happy so maybe if i just get a new man i'll be happy i'll feel better you know i want to find myself i want to feel sexy so i need to go get a new man right sorry, kids, daddy's moving out um, and Mr. Johnson's moving in and this is your new daddy. And then you get taken to family court and you get taken to the cleaners. Your life is over. You get zeroed out. And this is extremely devastating for men. Uh, If you look at like the unaliving, the self deletion statistics of why men do that, it's very often attached to getting zeroed out in family court by their ex-wife, getting their children taken away you know lo- losing everything they've worked for because their men are told just do the right thing be responsible and build a life for your family and you'll be good and it doesn't and then they're like wait I did everything I was supposed to do and and now my life is gone I've lost everything and I'm supposed to start over now when I'm 40 or 35 or 45 you know it's it's incredibly tough so to just tell people, take the Christ pill, like you said, that does commercialize it and make it silly. And then trying to pitch a dating service. (sighs) Tim Gordon does have a Catholic dating service that he started. I don't know how it's going, but I know that for him, it's like a really intense one-on-one thing where they actually get to know like people and try to match them. but there's already like Christian mingle and these kind of things out there. Right. Just going on like a Christian dating site. I don't know how much that's going to help you because women come into uh, Western Christianity with all the feminist baggage. And even, even in the Orthodox church, uh, David Patrick Harry and I were talking about how most of the women are converts Mm -hmm. and they do tend that, you know, they do typically have the story of, oh, I'm 35 and I'm lonely. So now I right. finally found God and I'm coming to the church. And that's yep. great. We want them to do that. But they think this means I am I deserve a husband now. One of you has to take me because if you're a good Christian man, that's what you'll do, right? Yeah. And this is a terrible attitude to have. And I've, I've been in some singles groups uh, early on in Orthodoxy where everybody was like, Rachel, you should help us do matchmaking. And I was like, well... I can give it a shot. And so we had a telegram group for a while. I left the group because half the women in it, all they were there to do is talk shit about Orthodox men, talk about how they ain't good enough. Why they Uh, think, well, I don't understand. I don't understand why he won't date me. I'm only 39 years old. I don't know what my three kids, he'd be lucky to have my three kids. It's, and I'm not saying ladies that you can't be divorced and have kids and find a great man. I did that. But it was kind of a unicorn situation. I was extremely lucky and I was extremely grateful for that. If I had gone into my relationship with Andrew thinking I just deserved him, he would have never even dated me. He'd have been like, bye, (laughs) right? No, thanks, lady. But it was you if you can be humble and say, look, I don't deserve anything. But women don't think that women are told about all the things they deserve and they believe that shit. Mm-hmm. even christian women so until you address those things it's we're gonna still have the same problems
1: right well look who decided to drop by it's jesus right. jesus forgave your sins but that doesn't make your marriage worthy really really glad you could drop by exactly. Glenn. I, I really appreciate yeah. it brother um rachel was just uh speaking good on your behalf a couple of minutes ago <laughs> but um yeah this um like i said i just have a problem with dishonest marketing and that's essentially yeah. what a lot of um you know, this whole Christ pill stuff is about is, is just if you pray hard enough, then you'll revive your dead bedroom. Uh, God's going to ordain a husband for you. Uh, you're going to find your perfect trad wife. And it's like, OK, I'm not saying you should pray or you shouldn't go to church or anything like that, but like also realize the reality of your circumstances and like, hey, if you're, you know, working out consistently, if you're a woman, you realize that like, Hey, my sexual market value is greatly declined because I have kids and baggage and I'm a little bit older right. Then, okay. That and praying will probably bring you a guy a lot faster than just saying, okay, I'm going to do whatever the fuck, uh, you know, I'm going to do anyways. Yeah. And then just pray and hope that Jesus plops man in my lap. And like when it comes to these singles groups, it's, uh, it's so tough to say what like the silver bolt solution is. And I really don't think there is one. Like I I don't think there is one either. (laughs) I same deal as you. I I got sort of a unicorn situation where, you know, my wife grew up with her dad, her parents were split up, but once again, she grew up with her dad, um, you know, a stepmom lived in the house and she, you know, grew up around a bunch of sisters and they all thought she was a lesbian. So like, she didn't have, issues (laughs) with other dudes oh yeah it's hilarious like when they first brought me over she's like oh they were like oh you're like into men (laughs) and she like dated guys before but like this is the first time that like things were serious so like my circumstances are incredibly different i didn't meet my wife online like we talked on two different dating apps but like the first time i met her was in person and that was when i was like hey i want your number you know let's and then the rest is history from there like these are unicorn situations but You as a guy are going to have to put the work in and be disciplined and understand, once again, your circumstances and how generally the cards are kind of stacked against you as a dude. And then as a woman, as you get older to give women their fair shake, the cards are stacked against you as you get older, especially if you carry more baggage and you're not willing to, you know, accept less of the ideal man to get somebody that you could be happy with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I hear this stuff all the time from women that I talk to. I talk to a lot of women regularly and they're like, Well, I'm not gonna settle. I'd rather be alone, you know, like and well, this is the problem. Andrew and I were talking about this for like weeks because we couldn't figure out logically a way around this problem. Mm -hmm. If you're a woman and you're you go to college, you get a job, you can afford a decent apartment in the part of town that you like, and you have your cats and you have your DoorDash and you have your Netflix. And your girlfriends, uh, yeah, what what are we supposed to do? Tell them that they need to go through, like I've had five kids, five pregnancies and five births is not like a walk in the park. Of course, I think it's worth it. I wish I would have had two more, but, <laughs> but that's because um, of my view of life is I'd rather do the really hard things that are worth it to me, even if it's a really hard struggle. That's how I am many women are not that way. And they don't see a reason why they should struggle. Why should I go through years of not sleeping and pouring everything materially and all my energy into these little people for a guy that, yeah, I guess I kind of like him, but he just doesn't light my toes on fire the way he used to. It's (laughs) like, I'm just saying like, in general, women are very like, because of the culture. I think we program them this way. I think we cater to the worst things in women and kind of create them into monsters that I don't think they really are. <laughs> so people people think, oh, she just hates women. She just hates women. No, I don't. First of all, I have four daughters. I'm a woman. I have friends who are women who are amazing, wonderful, exceptional people who I greatly admire. Mm. But I do think that the culture and the morality we have and then all the propaganda that i've talked about on this show and a ton of other shows it takes women's worst instincts and our worst weaknesses and it exploits them and it turns us into the girls that you see on the whatever podcast people think that that show is like i understand why a lot of people think it's off-putting i totally get that but i'm here to tell you those ladies are not just on that show and don't exist in your real life yes they do I know them. I am related to some of them who think this way, who think to themselves, why should I not have an OnlyFans? That way I can get, you know, fake boobs and lip fillers and the fake nails and the hair extensions. And I can create myself into this little porn cartoon character, which I can make even more money. And then, like, you know, someday when that runs out and I want to settle down if i find a guy who's impossibly too good for for me in dealing with all of that mm. then i'll settle down other than that why should i not just take the easy route why should i not just sexu- monetize my sexuality or get a bunch of student loans, go to college, have a corporate career, and do what I want. You see all the TikToks of the women talking about how great it is to be single and never have to wake up on a weekend. Uh, They can just kind of screw off all weekend. They don't have to plan anything. There's no pressure, right? Mm -hmm. How are you going to take a woman like that? And then you'd plop her into Rachel's life for a day. She would be like, nope, no." Absolutely. Wait, I have to get up in the morning. And before I do anything for myself, I got to make breakfast for my husband and for the kids. I got to, you know, do all the errands. I got to do all the chores. Like, my life is mostly about service to everyone around me. Very little of it is, like, just for me. That's one reason I love the gym so much, because it's the only two hours of the day that's that is just for me, but it's still... It's still not just for me, right? Because a a large part of my motivation is I still want to be attractive to my husband because I'm attracted to him and I I want that to be mutual. So it's not much about my life is really uh, directly for my satisfaction. And so if you take a woman who's lived that way and that's the world she knows for 25, 30 years and suddenly try to flip a switch and make her into someone who has my kind of life, they're going to hate it. And this is, I've seen this happen to some of my friends where they did college and they partied and they had their wild and woolly 20s and they had all this carefree fun and traveling and they would think it was a fun joke to call me because I already had like three kids by my mid-20s and they'd call me and go, oh my God, I went to this party last night and I woke up this morning. I didn't even know where I was. Like, I didn't even know what town I was in. I just went home with some guy and I was so drunk and blah, blah, blah. And they think it's cute and funny. I'm horrified, right? But then those girls, those friends of mine did kind of feel the biological clock ticking and around right. 30, 32, 33, 34, they shack up with the first guy that'll kind of take them. And then they have a kid and they hate it and they don't adjust well and they struggle and it's really hard for them. And it's actually really tough being, you know, being a friend of those ladies and watching them go through that and just me understanding like, oh, they're used to their life being about whatever they want to do at any moment. And now suddenly they have to all of a sudden switch. Right. Right. And nothing is about them and they feel lost and they feel stressed. And it's a really, really hard adjustment. And I think we tell too many women, "Oh, wait until you're 35 and then suddenly become a family woman. You can,
1: we tell women that they could have it all. Um, yeah. One thing that I wanted to bring up earlier um, was uh, when it comes to like the OnlyFans stuff, I think a lot of people think that's just over there. So like, and also to another point, like a lot of libertarians, Tend to think that everybody should share their libertarian ethics and political beliefs. But the fact is, like, nobody does. And I think this goes to, like, the the way that we kind of teach women. So, like, you know, you'll hear libertarians say, oh, well, all police are bastards because they enforce unjust laws. It's like, OK, well, they're not libertarians. They don't understand right. the law the same way that like we would and apply, you know, the norms of libertarian thinking to the way that they do their job. They're just normies. They think that they're generally improving society by being police and doing stuff like that. Women have been told that like, Hey, you're, you could do whatever you want, right? You could do everything a man can do. You don't need a man. Men are superfluous. So like, you don't need to keep a guy around. So who cares? Um, and like, I live in rural Pennsylvania, right? There's a girl I used to hang out with who literally does only fans now. So, I mean, it's, this shit is everywhere. It's endemic. Like you are not getting away from this right now. So it's it, it was surprising me to find that out, but like you kind of gotta learn to deal with this. And then, you know, if a girl earns so much money on OnlyFans and then now she out earns a lot of the guys that she wants to get with, um, how do you tell her you have to lower your standard of living so that way you can get with right. a guy who's gonna take care of you and be a good father? Like that is a hard sell. So I, I get it the is. struggle, but like I what do we do? You, you just I, I don't have a good answer for it.
2: Well, I mean, that's why the only thing I know to do is, number one, correct the historical record on feminism. I think that's super important because what everybody thinks, who hasn't read my book and hasn't seen my stuff, what everyone thinks is that prior to 1920, life was this horrible slavery for women. The men just did what they wanted, right? They drank that, you know, they went to work and drank all day. This is so silly. If you think about it for five minutes, it can't possibly be <laughs> true. But this is what people think. And I've, I've repeatedly asked in debates for them to relay to me what they think life was like before feminism. <laughs> well, all the men, there were so many alcoholic men that they had to <laughs> tell her he needed a motorcycle. There you go. um you all the men were such drunks and they would just come home every day and just beat the crap out of their wives and grape them and that's why the women's temperance movement had to come together and they did prohibition because that's how bad the men were they were just they'd work all day in factories somehow or work all day on farms somehow shit face drunk okay um and and they just were beating and abusive and they were graping and they were abusing everywhere. So feminism was just a reaction to this problem that just the men were horrible. Now, of course, that's not true. And if you read any of my work where I go back over the writings of the feminists themselves who tell you at the time that their biggest problem, the reason they couldn't get women on board with feminism is because the women were pretty happy. They had all these privileges and protections that they got under male suffrage. And it was actually the men who are like dying in mass because they're all being sent off to, you know, the Civil War, World War One, World War Two. And yeah, it's not like wartime isn't tough for women. Sure. But the majority of women in wartime aren't raped and abused. Most of them, you know, it's like your husband doesn't come back. And so you marry his brother. And you're still taking care of. I'm not saying everything was perfect. I'm saying for everything you can find about how life was hard for women, you can find that for men times 10. Usually (laughs) most men couldn't vote. Okay, so people have this idea that all the men always had all the power that the men just could vote from the time they wrote the Declaration of Independence. All the men could vote. No, the vast majority of men couldn't vote until right before women could. And that's true for Europe. Most of Europe, too. Um, And it's just, it wasn't the case that women were brutally oppressed. They had higher literacy rates, higher high school graduation rates from like the 1750s when we started keeping track in this country. So just a lot of the things people have heard about what life was like for women are patently false. They're totally untrue. There was never this top-down oppressive patriarchy that just enslaved the women and abused the women. And so they had no choice but to do feminism. Totally untrue. Uh, If you want all the proof, you can go to my substack. You can read my book. I'm working on two more books that should be out this year. Um, Because to me, correcting the historical record is a huge part of this. Because we're all acting on the assumption that if we don't have feminism, the women will be slaves. And that was not the case. And it's not true. It's just been portrayed that way by women's studies hags, right? So that's number one. When people find out it was a bullshit astroturf, Social engineering movement, it changes the mindset. It starts the wheels spinning. And then you just kind of show okay, here are the results now. Here's here's what's happened since we've implemented these feminist policies over the last hundred years. Uh, we have all the broken families. Marriage is practically meaningless. Most people don't even bother with marriage anymore. The birth rates have fallen through the floor to the point that we're now looking at population collapse. In South Korea, the birth rate is 0.78 because it's the most westernized Asian country. So you have, like, they already have a bit of an Asian propensity to limit, you know, uh, birth rates there. And then you add all the Western feminist stuff on top of it, the sexual revolution stuff, the female empowerment, women in the workforce. The average Korean woman isn't bothering to replace herself. And the men have mostly checked out. Same thing in Japan. There's only parts of Africa now that are above replacement. And if you ask the average person, most people think we have an overpopulation problem. Most people will tell you, oh, we're having too many kids. People are having too many babies and they can't afford them. And that's the other thing. People will say, well, it's not feminism. The reason why nobody's having babies is because people don't have any money. Now, the the economy is terrible right now. That's true. We Probably everybody who watches Kyle knows all the problems with the Federal Reserve banking system and usury and debt-based economy and all that stuff. That's all true. But the only people who are having babies are the poorest people. (laughs) The poorest people and then some of the top, top richest people. All the middle class, all the upper middle class are just not having kids. And it's not because they don't have the resources. It's because their priorities are material stuff. comfort convenience, uh, wealth building, security, uh, having a big house, having toys, going on vacations, traveling, uh, posting stuff for the Instagram, right? So if you look at the outcomes of where we are and you look at how miserable women are, like I said, 26% of y'all women out there are on at least one prescription psychiatric drug. So I don't think you're just out there killing it, having the best time. Um, and women have high rates of depression and anxiety. They have higher rates of alcoholism than that we've ever recorded. Um, if you look at all the terrible things that happen to kids who are raised in broken homes, especially if there's no dad around, it's just really bad. It's incredibly catastrophically bad. And you have to ask yourself, like, first of all, it's not sustainable because people will ask me, they'll be like, what do we do? Like you just said, and I'm like, well, I think it's going to be a tough adjustment, but it's going to have to happen or else, I mean, Andrew was just on whatever and asked uh, Jasmine Jafar, if women don't want to have kids anymore, like if they all decide to do what you do and just do OnlyFans and stay single and never have kids, you realize there won't be a human race, right? And she was like, yeah, well, if that's what has to happen for women to get what they want, then I'm fine with it. And I've seen... Three or four women say that to him in a debate now where they just say, yeah, if the human race dies out, it dies out. But I'm going to get my, um, gonna get my fans money. Yeah, yeah I'm going to get my bag. I'm going to have my nails. I'm going to get my fillers and my boat. It's it's crazy. I don't think this is actually what's good for women. And certainly I don't think from a Christian perspective it is, because when you tell women you're perfect the way you are. You don't ever need to change. Never be sorry. Never repent. Have no humility because humility is weakness and that will get you abused. That's what we train women to think. That's the mindset we train them to have. So it shouldn't be a surprise that they're doing what they're doing and they're acting how they're acting. But it's like, yeah, you have material stuff and I guess you have a lot of convenience and you have a lot of comfort. But is that the same as having purpose and having meaning and actually being fulfilled and living a life that's worth a shit? Is anyone going to care? Are you going to even care when you're gone? So I just think that we, we have to change the way that people are thinking about feminism and about women and gender roles and marriage and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's definitely a good start. Let me read through some of these comments. Uh, AI and technocracy will only feed in the temptation for convenience at the expense of real liberty, which seems less attractive to the inherent responsibility required for it. Yes. Yeah. Luke, thank you so much. Uh, beating men, I believe, at this point. Alcoholism. Yeah, it's definitely taking yeah. down a lot of people. But um, alcohol, much like weed and everything else, is... Um, sedation and this is why I've never smoked weed never smoked a cigarette anything like that a day in my life. I I drink alcohol a little bit probably like at most maybe four drinks a week. But like if you're doing that stuff to the um, exclusion of other things that it's sedation, you should probably consider getting a handle on that. Um, Is there anything else you want to touch on in the Christ pill red pill or anything like that? Or do you want to kind of top off with uh, your whole health story?
2: Yeah, we'll we'll switch over because I've already I've kind of said a lot of this stuff already. So if people Mm -hmm. have already seen my stuff, they don't want to hear me repeat it for the millionth time. But I I don't think there's an easy answer to the problem. I do believe that Orthodox Christianity has the medicine that people need, but it isn't it isn't like evangelical Christianity where. You just come down and do the altar call and you get the slice of cheese pizza and you say, uh, Jesus is my boyfriend and now I'm saved and everything's great. It's not like that. It's a challenging, it's it's a religious view that will challenge everything about you. And it's not easy, which everybody being geared toward. Comfort and convenience and everybody wanting the path of least resistance, it's a tough sell. But what I see repeatedly is people get to a point where that's not enough anymore. They're like, the comfort and the convenience is just not doing it for me. I feel lost. I feel depressed. In fact, Andrew got a letter from a guy recently where he said, I grew up in a wealthy family. Um, I've always had material comfort. Um, I'm pretty tall, I'm pretty good looking. I've always done really well with women. By all metrics, I should have been the happiest guy but I'm 30 and I can't remember the last time I woke up in the morning and didn't wish that I hadn't woken up that day. like that's the level of depression this guy was dealing with for years because he was just like I don't even remember the last day I woke up and wasn't like disappointed to wake up and have to do another day. Um, and he's like, so I started looking. You know, started looking for things online. And I found your channel. And I started watching some of your stuff, and it I really figured out that like what's killing me is this comfort and convenience and this like materialist lifestyle that I'm living in that I don't have any purpose. And now he started attending an Orthodox church. He has met a woman. He intends to marry her. And this is all in the span of like a year, you know. Um, of his life just completely turning around. He's like, I'm actually happy, and I've never been happy. And it's not because everything is perfect. He He's actually struggling, because like I said, orthodoxy is a struggle. It's not, it's, you don't become orthodox, and now everything's great for you. You're actually going to struggle against your passions, and against, you know, your weaknesses. And you're going to find out, as Father Turbo Qualls always says, you're going to find out that you're the problem, <laughs> which is tough for people. But There's something really satisfying about struggling against those things. And I think that's what people actually need. And it's what what you'll look for when you get to that point. So anybody who's out there looking, the reason I put out my work and the reason Andrew puts out his work is so that when those people get to that point and they start looking for truth and looking for purpose, it's there for them. I think that's all we can do.
1: That's awesome to hear. And I, I like... Father well, turbo calls quite a bit um every single shot i've seen him on I've, I've really really enjoyed it and the most empowering thing about the idea of you being the problem is that you can change it when yes. you put the problem on somebody else then you can't change that like i cannot change your behavior i can hardly even change my wife's behavior the only thing right. i can do is improve myself and improve the things that i can manage and then hope yeah. that everything kind of falls into line outside of there but like outside of that all's i got is hope All i got is hope yeah and, and well, just this is- yeah
2: This is why a lot of people go into the truther community like and I do some truther conspiracy type of stuff where I'm kind of like, you know, telling you all the stuff historically that you you didn't know about that. I can prove not crazy stuff, but people will get into like trutherism or they'll find the JQ or they'll find like the (laughs) sovereign citizen stuff or you know what I mean and. It's something that they latch on to because it's like, aha, this external thing is the cause of why everything's so fucked up. Right. But what happens to those people is they it becomes incredibly self-destructive because they lose all hope and they get really blackpilled because they're like, I can't do anything about the Federal Reserve. I can't do anything about the JQ. I can't do anything about the sovereign citizen stuff where. Uh, you know, I was given a social security number and now I'm owned by the state, like whatever truth or thing people latch on to, if that's where you stop, it just becomes a nihilistic black pill because you think yes. you're powerless and you live in a slave system, and we have to defeat, you know, whoever the person is in charge. Mm-hmm. And I always say, Okay, you get rid of those people, they're just gonna replace them with a new batch. There's right. always gonna be you'll some find something else power. Yeah, there'll be some corrupt power in this world that's causing problems, but you yeah, you can't do anything about that, but you can do something about yourself.
1: Right. So. Okay. So I think that serves as a good pivot over to kind of your issues. So if I remember correctly, um upon the incident with your son, you know, un- very, very unfortunately, um, you'd kind of fall on hard times as, you know, we all do from time to time. Um, yeah. And then you were actually working with a personal trainer and mm-hmm. you would been struggling with your weight and then um you had found a a thyroid issue if I remember correctly um you know what I'll I'll quit butchering it I'll throw it over to you what exactly (laughs) happened um between you know then and now and what were some of the steps like and what was it like kind of learning because I think a lot of people are looking for something wrong with them and you legitimately did have something wrong with you but like I think a lot of people are, are typically um looking for that something like in the health and nutrition sphere i'm sure you see it all the time and like my goal with this channel is just to spear the bullshit away and tell people look it's not seed oils that's killing you it's not you know sugar it's not this it's not that it's just the fact that you're probably not getting enough physical activity there's something that's just very very simple that you're not committing to um, and people take advantage of that, right? Like the whole seed oil deal. Right. I, I, it's so crazy. But once again, if seed oils are in everything, and seed oils are what's killing you, then it's hopeless. You can't do anything about it. Um, right. When I see people talk about like, oh, I went over to another country and I lost all this weight. It's like, okay, well, yes, here in America, unfortunately, we put oils and sugar into everything to make it tasty, and so that way you get fat. Okay, well, now that you understand that, you have to understand that you have to eat appropriately. It's not, you know, some giant (coughs) conspiracy. And even if it is, then you still have to live with that, whether it is or isn't. Like, that's still your reality. So um, that's a little bit of a long tangent. But what was your reality with kind of dealing with your weight and then kind of getting to where you're at now?
2: Okay, so I'll go back just a little bit to I was always a skinny kid growing up. I never had weight problems. I got made fun of all the time for um, being a bean pole or chicken legs. I was like the super skinny girl that I just looked like a little stick person with a head. Um, Until I hit about 19. And then I suddenly gained like 30 pounds, like the freshman 15, but times two. And I think this is because when I was young... I was constantly outside. I was the outside kid and I was just always yeah. running around, riding my, I didn't have a car. So I rode my bike everywhere. Um, things like that. And I just, I don't know. I don't think I was super interested in eating tons of food. I was kind of a picky eater, but all of a sudden I gained weight. Now looking back, of course I know it's cause you start drinking with your friends because you don't live with your parents anymore and it's party time. So you're drinking on the weekends maybe. Yeah. Um, and you're poor. So you're eating shit like ramen noodles or like Totino's pizzas, stuff like that, which is not what I ate growing up. So I got for the first time in my life, I was chunky and I was like, oh, no, this is no, this is not happening. So I started working out with a friend. I got really into it. I loved like at this time we're talking like this is 1999. You guys, this is how old I am. Okay, (laughs) this is last millennium that Rach figures out. Um, I had a high school track behind my house that I would run. Um, I would do sit-ups. I would do push-ups. That was about the extent of it, but I got in really good shape. I got in super good shape, super proud of myself. Boom, I have the first baby, right? Didn't gain like a ton of weight, just the normal amount. And I lost it right away after because I just went right back to what I was doing before, lost it all. Have the second baby, same thing had the third baby, same thing. I always was just able to go back to like paying attention to what I ate. I didn't know a lot about like nutrition, but I just knew like, you know, kind of count some calories, kind of pay attention to your protein a little bit and make sure that you're exercising. And that was good enough through all of my twenties to bounce back from the kids, but something happened. It, It started with my last baby where I had this crazy autoimmune rash that covered half my body. And it looked like somebody had beaten me with a baseball bat. It was just giant purple welts all over my legs. They even biopsied it because they were like, we have no idea what this is. Turned out that it was something called gestational pemphigoid, which is an autoimmune reaction from my body to the cells coming from the baby. So it was a little tougher to lose weight after her. It was a little tougher, but I did it. Um took me a little bit longer than the first four but but I did get back down to a good healthy weight and I was super into like CrossFit and bodybuilding and powerlifting by this time. I started really getting serious about weightlifting in 2008, so it's been a while that I've been like I went to a gym, I hired a coach to teach me like proper form on all the big basic lifts, uh started like reading all the old-timey message boards like the the old bodybuilding.com message boards and things (laughs) like that so so by this time i'm like a full-on bro right (laughs) after Mm -hmm. baby number five and so i decide okay i've just had my fifth kid i'm 32 33 i want to compete not necessarily because i think i'm going to be miss olympia but because i just want to it's a bucket list thing i want to just say that i did it once that i got in super good shredded shape and i did that so i hired a coach i start training Everything's going great. I'm like 10 weeks out from my first bodybuilding competition and my son passed away in a car accident at 10 years old. Absolutely destroyed me, completely wrecked me like just mentally, physically. The and the grief response I had was very physical. I remember having to go to like a chiropractor and a massage therapist, just because like you spend so much time curled up like this, crying those first like couple months. And I, I had a body that was used to working out twice a day. Okay. And then you go from that to being in a fetal position for two months, just crying, barely eating, you know, you're trying to eat, but you can't. And I couldn't even like uncurl myself, like everything hurt. And and it was just like a physically really rough two years of like dealing with grief and just trying to keep my head above water. I no longer cared about abs. I no longer cared about, you know, sparkly bikinis or any of that kind of stuff. Um, But at a certain point, I was like, I have to get my shit together because I have four other kids and a husband and I I don't have the luxury of like just dying. Right. So I got back in the gym and that was good for me. It was better for me, I think, than grief counseling. It was like me fighting all those demons while I'm in the gym and you take out your anger and you take out your frustration in the gym. And it was like, it was really good for me, but I wasn't really losing weight. And I'm like watching everything I'm eating. I'm doing all the things I did before. And I was good buddies with Rob Wolf, the glorious um, owner of Elemente. Everybody buy Element if you work out, especially it's great stuff. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Everybody needs Especially if you're low-carb, you need your electrolytes and your salt Mm, if you're working out. Um, And Rob gave me some great suggestions. And he was like, you know, I think you should get tested because you had that big autoimmune thing with the baby. He's like, some stuff seems weird, so you should get some things checked. So I go and I get some blood work done. And they did find that I had like high antibodies to my thyroid. But they kind of didn't tell me what to do about it. They were just kind of like, oh, well... Yeah, that could be it. You just might have to work out harder and eat lesser. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I was like, oh, OK. And I'm getting older. You know, I'm like approaching 40 now. I'm like in my late 30s. So I'm just like trying to double down. And and it it wasn't working. I just couldn't lose this like 40 pounds of stone. great weight. Yeah. yeah, just it was like I'm fighting and fighting and fighting. And I would lose a little, but it wasn't like it had ever been in my life but my two oldest daughters were struggling with health problems. So I was really focused on getting them fixed and not paying much attention to myself. Life got really busy. I kind of ignored it. I just kind of, I still went to the gym. I still always worked out for the mental health reasons and because I love it, but I looked like a chunky monkey. I did not look like a person who was in the gym. My poor husband trying to be a nice guy. He was like, Please don't take this wrong. I know that this is one of those things that there's no way I can say it right. But he's like, you don't look like you work out as much as you do. And like, maybe you should like get that checked. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna go hardcore. I'm gonna hire a coach again. So I did that um, August of 2022. Yeah. So I hired a coach, an IFBB pro, great coach, uh, dietary background, everything. Worked with her for 12 solid months. We tracked every single thing that went in my mouth. By this time, I know about macros and I know about micronutrients and I know all this, the sports nutrition stuff. So we're tracking everything I'm eating. Um, very dedicated workout program in the gym, five, six days a week, trying to get good sleep. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do all the things, you know, I'm eating lots of protein. Well, yeah, we're real, not going quick, crazy.
1: Like you were weighing your food too, right?
2: Oh yeah. So yeah, I, I just, like just want to the gram. Make
1: yeah making this note to the audience you would be amazed even yes. if you don't weigh, like i weigh my food every single day if you weigh your food you would be amazed at how much stuff sometimes you're eating and it's in very very few cases how little you're eating but most of the time if you weigh shit out most of the time it it's will a lot more yeah it will blow your fucking mind so i'm sorry i just want to yeah. make sure that the audience as well oh, no. like yeah when you're we, tracking because... it's amazing
2: Yeah, I knew enough by this point because I had already done like a bodybuilding prep. So I knew by this point, like you have to track your condiments. You have to be weighing everything. You have to be, you know, weighing your protein before it's cooked, not after because it's a big calorie difference, things like that. So for 12 months, I went all in. We we did everything perfect. It was a really good solid 12 months. I only had a couple minor hiccups where I would have like um, I'd get really sick with the flu or something maybe and miss a week. Mm but it was a good solid 12 months of like my best effort and her best effort helping me. And I did lose 30 pounds. Okay. So it's not that when you have a thyroid problem, you can't lose weight. Obviously you take someone with a thyroid issue and put them in an internment camp and don't feed them. They're going to lose weight. Like this is what thermodynamics
1: still applies.
2: Yes. People get this wrong. They think that if you have a hypothyroid, you just can't lose weight. That's not true. But what is true is that you're going to be so tired You're not going to recover from exercise. You're going to feel inflamed all the time. And it's going to be, it's always a struggle to lose weight, but it was like, it was like a gladiator battle. It was so hard. And then last spring, things started happening. Like I started missing periods completely out of like nowhere. And could I be heading in that direction at 42? Sure. But to just like, it just disappears when I still have a good 30 pounds to lose. That's a Mm -hmm. little weird. Then my hair starts falling out. I started getting like massive. You can even still see a little bit here. I'm getting thinning. My eyebrows started disappearing. Um, I started getting, I had always had migraines, but they became like three, four times a week, Mm. which I'd never had. And And I never felt recovered from exercise. I was sore all the time. I had like nagging injuries everywhere and I just was feeling like death. But the thing about me is I'll just run myself into the ground. I'm one of those people where it's like, Mm damn it, I'm going to do this and I don't care if it kills me, I'm going to do it. But finally, after 12 months, my coach was like, something's not right. Like something's off because I know I'm sending her videos of my workouts, tracking all my food, sending her all the data. She's like, something's just not right. I I feel like you need a blood panel. So I went and got like a full blood panel. And this is the thing. Don't go to your doctor because your stupid general practitioner is not going to check for all the things they need to check. They won't test your sex hormones. They won't do your T3 or T4. They won't do all the things that you need. And they don't know about fitness. They don't know jack shit about fitness. They don't know jack shit about nutrition. They'll tell you to be vegan and like run or do yoga. Yeah. No. They didn't even know like that women lift weights. The, the, the doctor I had was so bad. So I paid out of pocket, like I paid out of pocket to have a practitioner do my blood work and look at it. And the doctor called me after I got my first blood panel and they were like, uh, so how long have you been feeling all these symptoms? And I told them and I told them about how years before I'd had these high antibodies. And she's like, yeah, uh, I don't know how you've been just living, let alone working out. (laughs) That's how bad it was. My testosterone level was seven. Seven, not like 70, seven. (laughs) I had practically no progesterone at all. My estrogen was like hanging in there, but that was like the only sex hormone I had. And then my T3 and T4 were in the basement. I had like no thyroid hormone, basically. Um, And this is why, like, I'm experiencing all these awful symptoms and losing hair and feeling like I'm going to die. The cold, the cold was literally painful. Like if it got below 50 degrees, I was like sore and hated being alive. So she was like, I can't believe you've just been walking around like this. We we're going to like put you on some thyroid hormone and probably some HRT until we get you back where you need to be. So we started that in October. And just from October to now, I lost another... Twenty pounds, wow! And I feel normal, and I can work out hard again, and I can recover and be ready to go again in a day or two, like I should. <laughs> my hair is coming back, my eyebrows are coming back. Um, just my skin is better. Everything's better. So just I feel alive. I don't have migraines four times a week. Cycles regular. So I really thought I was. You know how you hear all the fat acceptance people always say uh, it's their thyroid. So I yeah. just thought it's not your thyroid. Everyone thinks it's their thyroid. You know, everybody yeah. thinks could that. Could
1: possibly be me.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, no, everyone thinks that blah, blah, blah. I just, so I just ignored it. I didn't even think about it. And so when I got those labs back, I was just like, whoa, whoa no wonder. Like they were like, yeah, this could be actually like really dangerous. How bad some of your levels are like you're at risk for a lot of really bad stuff. So I've gone on. Uh, hormone replacement and thyroid replacement. Since then, and I'm feeling way better. I just got new labs. I will be getting the results this week to see where we can nice. adjust things. Yeah. yeah, and just just back on the wagon with everything. Um, doing like a pretty low carb diet because I still like you know, with all of this comes inflammation and insulin sensitivity sucks and mm-hmm. you know uh, things like that. So, taking lots of like vitamin supplements uh, essential fats, things like that. Um, really working on sleep, sleeping. Cause I'm not, I'm not good at relaxing and I'm not good at sleeping and I'm not good at recovering. I'm just like, go, go, go all the time. So if you're a lady, my age, and you're having these issues, go get your hormones, checked, get the full <laughs> blood panel done or guys right. too. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody knows that guys are having problems with testosterone levels and things like that, yeah. but Testosterone matters for women too. If your tea is in the basement, good luck putting on muscle. Good luck rebuilding tissue. Like this is why every joint in my body hurt. This is why just everything hurt all the time. Mm-hmm. Because without any testosterone when it's that low even in women, you can't rebuild tissue. You're breaking it down constantly because I'm still right. going to the gym and pushing through, but I'm not yeah. building anything back. So, my lifts are back up where they should be. There I'm I'm getting strong again. Um I have energy again, so it's going great. Yeah, that's awesome. It took years. It took years. It wasn't something that I fixed in a few months. It took years to figure it out. And it's probably going to take years before all the damage is kind of getting undone too. Um, I'm actually doing some peptide therapy as well, just because the autoimmunity, like my actual thyroid gland is like atrophied really bad. It's like kind of barely there um and some other things like that it just caused a lot of damage to like my organs like my liver was not doing so good like i was just in a bad spot um so there's some peptides out there that can help your body like heal faster and recover from all the inflammation and the vicious cycle Mm -hmm. of autoimmunity so i've just started that so hopefully that will help me a little bit too i'm not doing Ozempic. I'm not doing semaglutide or terzepatide or any of the like weight loss drugs, because especially for me with the autoimmune disease, that would probably be a bad idea. A lot of people lose a lot of lean body mass on that. And there's a lot of side effects that I can't risk. So we're not doing that. We're not doing the weight loss drugs. I'm not going to look like a skeletized Kardashian. Right. <laughs> Just yeah. trying to get healthy and feel good again, you know. And hopefully looking good as a side effect of that, but I just, I want to go beast mode in the gym and feel good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally get it because, uh, kind of to an earlier conversation, I remember the first time I deadlifted 400 pounds and I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And then now I'm up over 500 and I'm like, okay, can I get to 555? Like I did 535 with a trap bar and now I'm back doing conventional. I do sumo just because like my physiognomy, it works a lot better for me to do sumo deadlifts. And I'm like, if I can 535 sumo, I'll be pretty damn happy. But I know once I get there, I'm like, okay, 555 now. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to hear though that you kind of, did all that and like when it comes to Ozempic, um I did a podcast with um Max oh god I can't believe I can't remember his last name but he worked under Brad Schoenfeld who's the world's leading researcher yes. on hypertrophy yeah um mm-hmm. and he we talked about Ozempic a little bit and I was pretty skeptical at first. Um I do believe there are lots of side effects but, um, the way that he put it, and I actually kind of, uh, I, I, it gave me a different perspective on, he said, okay, well, we can either tell people to exercise and eat better and they're not going to do it anyways, or you can give them this drug and they lose weight, but they still don't exercise. And it's kind of like, okay, well, right. what's, what, what's the lesser of right. two evils here? And, and I would like,
2: never say yeah. it's bad, by the right. way. I didn't mean yeah. to and say that right. is bad. Yeah. It's But you, you're like able to do it naturally. Yeah. Right. Right. Like all these things, it's a tool and you just have Mm. to make sure that it's the right tool for the right job. Like if I wasn't a person who is going to go in and do like, you know, (laughs) 250 pounds, single leg, leg presses. Um, or 110 pounds, single arm rows on the rowing machine. Cause mm-hmm. for some reason, my back and biceps are extraordinarily strong. It's just my, everybody has their body part, you know, and yeah. like my back and biceps, have just always been a really strong puller. And I actually have to struggle yeah. to put legs on. It's the chicken legs uh, from kindergarten, man. The people who called me chicken legs in kindergarten, because my legs will get super strong, but they'll just get dense and stay little. So I have to fight mm-hmm. to put mass on my lower body. but. um. I think that all of those, um, what are they? L G ag- one agonist. Oh, G
1: L P one agonist. G
2: L P one agonist. I think yeah. those are going to be a game changer for a lot of people because it's right. like if you're going to die from obesity, also the gastric bypass surgery is really risky and not the best either. So if they can do something, when you don't like change this your behaviors instead, either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if you're going to use like semaglutide, you should do it with the idea that, okay, we're going to reset the appetite. We're going to reset the hormone signals. We're going to establish new patterns where I'm not dependent on food. Like every five minutes, we all know those people that if they can't eat for 45 minutes, they're like fainting because they're so used to just like drinking soda and eating carbs all day that they can't go without eating. If you can use it as a reset to start a healthier lifestyle, I think it's great but there are risks. Mm -hmm. Um, I think from what I do know, I think looking into a compounding pharmacy and taking it more regular regularly, rather than doing the once a week auto injectors, Mm -hmm. if you're a muscle person is probably good because the one thing I have heard from people I know who have done them, like when they're prepping for a show or something, it gets really hard to eat enough protein. It gets really tough. Uh, Okay. And you have more you have more side effects from those once a week auto injectors where you can't adjust the dose. Whereas if you get like a vial of it and you have your syringe, you can do smaller doses more frequently. So like every other day or daily and you don't get the wicked nausea and the inability to eat your protein and stuff. So I think there's smart ways to use it based on what I know. I'm not an expert. I'm just a nerd but i think right. it can be a useful tool and a good tool for people i'm just not to the point yet where i feel like i need it i'm still making good progress yeah. i'm still dropping body fat i'm still mm-hmm. feeling better so um and i'm kind of on like a a really high protein moderate fat lower carb diet so i'm not very hungry I'm yeah just not right that hungry.
1: see that that's like the thing is that like for somebody like me or you who's able to just kind of power through it and we already understand all this stuff and we understand that we have to change our behaviors habits yeah. eating in order to lose weight then like why would we go on ozempic like and my understanding right. is um that like a lot of the studies where people lost muscle mass those people also weren't resistance training so oh, yeah. like who's to say that like hey maybe if you do incorporate resistance training while you're on ozempic maybe you'll maintain more lean mass we don't know but like i think regardless if yeah right so do i but like if you're like us and you're able to power through it, then hey, this tool is probably not for you. But if you're Gen Pop, who's not going to fucking work out anyways, it's probably better we get the fat off you. And there are some horror right. stories where, like, I, I do, I think I remember somebody literally like they had like Endless Diary or something like that. Like it was foul. But like, yeah. Anything that you're going to do, there's going to be some small modicum of risk for anybody, no matter yeah. what. But um, when I talked to Max about this, um, he had said that like the first five year trial compared to obesity, he's like, I think it's going to be a miracle drug and he's not an expert either. No. We're not experts, but like, once again, if it's going to get fat off people, everything else we've done has sucked diets suck. <laughs> I mean, like I'm a flexible dieting guy. So, I mean, I literally, I eat a loaf and a half of white bread every single week, making French toast every day. I mean, it's delicious. Did you,
2: did you get a Ninja creamy yet? Oh. did i sell you on the ninja creamy
1: <laughs> of course i got a ninja creamy. i, I made a, I have made s'mores ice cream butterfinger ice cream uh on monday or it was tuesday i think i made a white chocolate oreo protein oh. ice cream oh it was, it was so okay. good yeah and like i've even told my wife on it a little bit like she does like a lot of the protein protein stuff but i've been able to like make cookies and stuff like that that she likes but um yeah the the ninja creamy is like a godsend so like if you're into protein stuff it's so simple because all you do is like almond milk regular milk protein powder greek yogurt xanthan gum pudding powder and then leave it sit you mix it the next day and it tastes delicious
2: it's like real ice cream it tastes so good (laughs) but it's been great for me because the coach i have right now i do i got a different coach not because my other one wasn't good she was great yeah. But this guy knows like all the ins and outs of hormone stuff. So sure. he's helping me with that along with the training. And he does more like a Dorian Yates style, like high intensity training, which Blood I love. Blood and guts.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. I
2: love <laughs> so much like this is the weird thing right is like i'm a girl and i have these really feminine like motherly qualities but i also just love to tear ass <laughs> that, the that's
1: gym that's metal. yeah that's your 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 um, <laughs> inner masculine coming out in the gym
2: <laughs> yes and i love shooting like if we have a range day like whenever my friends come up it's like do we go to the gym or do we go to the range because we don't have time for both and we have to pick one and it's such <laughs> a struggle but i love those kind of things and he, so he's helping me with like training smart for my age too because he's like you can't just destroy yourself go to
1: failure every single set yeah
2: Yeah. he's like you can but we have to do it smart it's got to be like done a certain way so that you don't kill yourself because we you need he's big on recovery and he's like you have to recover you can't just grind yourself into dust because you're not 20 anymore you could do that when you were 20 but you're 43 now so you got to be smarter about things so he's helping me with all that but He's pretty strict. I do a meal plan. I don't have flexible dining right now. When I get to where I want to be, I can probably do that to maintain. But for sure. right now, and because of all my health markers and everything, we have to know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Trying to get my insulin sensitivity back where it needs to be. So I'm doing like, I do get a protein shake every day, and he lets me make it into the ninja ice cream. And that's like, Uh, because you also feel like you're eating it rather than drinking a you know that drinking a liquid shake is not very satiating
1: yeah, well, there have been studies done on this where, like, they actually found that the texture of the food actually matters. So, like, um, yeah. I remember reading in an article once, um, they were complaining about how people say protein is the most satiating macro. And they said, oh, well, somebody drank a protein shake before they went to a buffet and they still had the same. I'm like, well, no shit, because a protein shake isn't that satiating. But if I make right. you protein ice cream in, like, a blender with almond milk, xanthan gum and really blow up the volume of it and use yeah. water instead of milk or something like that you'll you'll be stuffed like the protein ice cream you
2: can make and you kind of have to chew it too and when you have to kind of chew your food more instead of just drink it it actually Mm. sends satiety signals to your brain right as well so Mm. yeah that's all good helpful stuff there's this stuff can all be done but i'm i'm very thankful and lucky that i actually love the the lifestyle i love the process i'm one of those people where it's like yeah i may never be like i may never have six pack abs i'm gonna try my damnedest to get them back but if (laughs) i don't i love the process i love the process of you know, walking into the gym and being slightly scared of your leg day, just being like, mm, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> you know, yeah. I love that. It's fun for me and it's it's more like how partying was when I was super young. That's my party now. Nice. I get on my 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 kick ass playlist and it's like party time in the gym for me. So I'm very blessed and lucky that I love that because I have a lot of lady friends who really don't. Cause mm-hmm. like I could never, I could never do yoga or like group exercise classes or cardio drumming or something. I would mm-hmm. never stick to it. It would be so boring for me and I just couldn't do it. So I'm lucky I found something physical that I love right. that's also helping me keep my bones nice and dense. Hopefully I won't be one of those ladies that falls and breaks a hip. I'll still be, you know, functional into my older years. Those are kind of the goals as you get older, right? We care a little less about the six pack and we care more about just being able to get out of bed and not have things hurt. So. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll, I'll have to, uh, my wife just came in, so we'll have to wrap this up, but um, not only do I want to get you back on again, but I'll probably have to put you in touch with my wife because she, uh, <laughs> she sends me videos of her deadlifting and hitting PRs. And like, she has like this genetic gift to be just strong. So like, I want to say th- I couldn't put an exact number on how many times she's like deadlifted or worked out, but it's not like with insane frequency, but like, you know, without going there a whole bunch, she's already deadlifting. I think it's like 230 pounds or something like that so she right. just yeah. kind of has like the she has the gift right and I'm, I'm yeah just want to like push her a little bit more but you know my thing is like you have to want it like i can't force yeah. people to do anything so right. like w- when she sends me videos like that it's really really cool or like when i see how she's able to you know do exercise that i taught her and execute them well it's it's really really neat and she she's i, she, I think she's gonna get the bug but it just takes a little bit more Was it well, we, 245 yeah she actually... just came over, to over oh.
2: 245. nice <laughs> that's very yeah. solid um all my girls learn about nutrition and exercise in homeschool now two of them really got into lifting the older two the oldest one not as much now that she's busy but my t- my girl who's about to turn 21 yeah. she's like a freak she's like a genetic freak just the way that she's structured and she just like looks yeah. at weights and puts on muscle it's nuts. <laughs> nice but she's yeah she's got the bug like uh, she actually had a health condition called POTS where um, her okay, blood yeah. volume, it stays in the lower half of her body and she'll faint a lot. And it, it's a really problematic condition to have. And she's flexible, yeah. but in physical therapy, they told her, um, put more muscle on your legs because it'll help as like a secondary pump mm-hmm. to get the blood up out of your legs when you stand up. Uh, yeah. And I was like, Well, I can help with that. So she started <laughs> lifting when she, when she was like sixteen, she kind of started yeah. with me. and now she's twenty, and she's like an absolute beast. Like I mm-hmm. do a leg day with her, and she beats me on a lot of things, even though <laughs> I've got a much longer like workout age than her. And she's yeah. falling in love with bodybuilding and being in the gym. and she was actually, studying so that she can be a coach and help other people who have like physical disabilities in oh, the gym that's awesome yeah yeah so not just like physique competitors but she's like no i want to help mm. people who've been told because they kind of told her you're probably just going to be disabled forever mm. and um we oh, just don't I take that it. we just don't take that shit around here okay <laughs> The Wilsons don't do things that way. And so of course she holds a full-time job. She's a fully functional, healthy, happy person who is not disabled. She still has to adjust things sometimes to work with her condition. She got to stay out of the heat. She's got to have extra salt and extra fluids and things like that. But she's like, I want to help other people who've basically been told to lay in a bed and rot and get them physical and healthy and get them stronger and help them learn to teach their body what to do rather than just listen to dumb doctors who tell them to like lay in bed and die so that's pretty cool i think
1: no i think that's absolutely (laughs) incredible and um i I guess the uplifting note i I should end on here is that like okay so my mom had cancer three times which sounds very very grim but like my perspective has always been is like if my mom as a single mom, back when I was a kid could have raised me and my brother worked hundred hours a week with cancer three times and battling other things that I don't want to tarnish her good name online, then like what the fuck is my excuse to not get up and put everything I got into everything I could possibly fucking do. So like there's zero excuse for somebody like me who's perfectly well and able-bodied. Um, so it, it just, as soon as you mention your daughter having issues and her kind of being able to do that, um, it's just very, very encouraging and really, really cool to hear that somebody can kind of overcome something like that. And, uh, she'll have to check out my podcast with Dr. Bill Campbell and some of the other health related guests I've had. On. Oh yeah. And, uh, I-, I could put her in touch with some really, really cool doctors and very, very well-informed people if they, um, you know, if uh, she would ever be interested in stuff like that, because this stuff fascinates me as well, because, um, yeah. you know, having all my grandparents pass away before I was even 17 years old, um. I, it really encourages me to just be like, Hey, I'm going to thrive. I want to be able to deadlift 400 pounds when I'm 70 years old. So like the longevity yeah. as you age stuff is hugely important to me. And the fact that your daughter's into that kind of stuff is just absolutely freaking awesome because we need more people like her. So make sure she looks up Dr. Gabrielle line. She's probably one of my favorite people. On
2: I YouTube. will. Yes, yeah. I will. She probably, I mean, she probably follows a lot of those people already. She's actually it's working awesome. with my coach. So great. Yeah. My coach is now training her, too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she she would probably love all that stuff. So I'll send some of that her way and tell her to check it out. Because, yeah, she's, she's really into it. I think she's going to do great things with it. And, hey, if an old nerdy lady who writes boring history books can get back into shape after all this nonsense. I feel like anybody can You just have to not give up. I'm so glad that all the years that I still looked fat, I was still lifting. Like, I'm so thankful now because I'm starting with, I haven't lost all the base of muscle and strength that I had completely. I kept Mm -hmm. and I probably would have gotten far sicker if I had been like really sedentary, you know, and thought to myself, well, oh, I look fat, so I'll just skip the gym. I never did that. I kept going Mm -hmm. even when I looked bad and even when I wasn't always on my diet because I was so discouraged or things like that. I just didn't ever totally give up on myself. And I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Like I'm just going to keep at it and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to make it work somehow and then I did. So so yeah, you can always come back even from like devastating, you know, health problems and and things like that. The gym's always there and you can always get stronger. That's the great thing, right? You can always get stronger. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So why not? yeah i love that yeah absolutely why not why not go in there and the best part about iron is it's always objective either you picked it up or you didn't
2: exactly <laughs>
1: yeah rachel i couldn't think of a better <laughs> note to end it on i really really appreciate your time you've been very very generous now this has been four hours of podcast we did together and i love every minute of it um feel free to tell everybody where they could find you support you and all that good stuff
2: well sure you can go to amazon and buy my book it is occult feminism the secret history of women's liberation um, you can go to my Substack, That's rwilson.substack.com. I have lots of other neat articles and essays and stuff on there. Um, and then you can go to my YouTube channel. It's just Rachel Wilson.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, yeah, I definitely recommend people go check that stuff out. Um, earlier in the show, I mentioned the show you did with David Patrick Harry. Um, I thought the show was absolutely fantastic. So make sure they go check that out. The crucible is great as well. And i uh, follow yeah. you on Twitter because I really, really enjoy your takes. And, uh, you know, you'll definitely be back sometime soon, and I'm really looking forward yes. to uh, our next conversation, Rachel. Thank you so much.
2: Me too. Thanks for having me back. It's always a good time. All
1: right. Thank you, everybody. Much. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time.